Welcome everyone to the Leadership Evolve podcast where we sit down with modern leaders and entrepreneurs to really understand the principles and philosophies that has led to their success. We do all of this in an effort to help you lead a better life, both at your work and at home. My guest today is the CEO and founder of an organization called Whistleblower Security. It's a very interesting organization as they're primarily focused on ethics reporting. I was not familiar at all with those kind of services in that industry, so we spend a lot of time in the beginning really digging deep into her organization and the value they provide. On top of that, I was skeptical in terms of the necessity of ethics in a business. I got the value of it and I can see it being utilized, but I just wasn't convinced. Well, by the end of this, I was proven completely wrong. Uh, And now I have a full understanding that it is absolutely necessary and it should, on top of that, be a priority for any business, small or big. Overall, she has an amazing leadership philosophy that is no surprise to where her organization is at today. Um, And overall, we just had a great conversation. So I hope you all enjoy it and please give it up for Shannon Walker. Welcome to the Leadership Evolve podcast. I'm uh, super excited to have you on here. Thanks so much, Artie. I'm super excited to join you today. Yeah, definitely. Um, I really wanted to start out with whistleblower security. Um, obviously, it, it seems like it's your baby, and it's been something you've been you've been working at and continue to work at. Um, it's a very unique organization, at least to me and, and definitely my audience. Uh, it's not every day you see the services that you guys offer. Uh, so I wanted to start out if you could just uh, give us an overview of, of what Whistleblower Security is all about. And then uh, I would love to hear the inspiration behind it and how you came up uh, in terms of your passion and how you ultimately ended up starting uh, the organization. Uh, okay, so that's a, a pretty hefty order, um, and I'll try and make it succinct since we just have 30 minutes. But, um, and again, you know, thank you for inviting me to join this podcast. I think it's super interesting what you're doing. And I think it's um, really apropos that um, you invited someone like me who is in this ethics space, especially at this time and place in, in, uh, in the world right now. Um, when I started Whistleblower Security 15 years ago, it was basically after Sarbanes-Oxley came into play, which was the, uh, the U.S. regulations that uh, required publicly traded companies to have a process for uh, them to have employees come forward and report any kind of wrongdoing. And there were so many scandals back in the day, and it was so intriguing to me that companies were now being mandated to do the right thing and to create those processes for their employees to be in a safe place to do the right thing. And at the time, we had a contact center, and we had a great IT department with another with the other company that I worked with, and we set about doing a little bit of research on what would make a great platform for people to be able to come online and report about wrongdoing. So we created our very first, uh, very simplistic, very clunky intake form, and set up our contact center uh, on a part-time basis to start to test the waters, and. The company grew organically really off the side of my desk for the first few years because it wasn't the main um, point of our business at the time, but it was something that I was very passionate about. And it was something that I felt good about 
nurturing and doing and, and talking to the clients who were the, you know, way back in the day, they were uh, really kind of uh, visionary in the sense mm-hmm. that they wanted to to provide these types of tools for their employees and for their management teams to have better engagement, better oversight, better understanding of the challenges of their employees who are out in the field. And so with that, um, the company has continued to grow. And, and you know, we really started from um, Vancouver, Canada with a very small footprint. And now we have hotlines in over 80 countries. Our platform's available in 26 languages. Uh, we live answer in English, French, and Spanish, and we have interpretation partners, so we can service up to 150 languages. So it's really interesting in how it's grown. And the other interesting point about Whistleblower is that companies who have less than 50 employees can be our partners, and companies with over a half a million employees can be our partners. So it really runs the gamut of pretty much any organization, be it public, private, nonprofit can utilize these services to better understand what their employees are going through and to better find resolution to the challenges and the issues that they they see in the workplace. Wow, that's incredible. Um, you mentioned the mandate early. I'm not too familiar with that. Um, when, when did that mandate come about? I think Sarbanes-Oxley uh, came into play in about 2003. And it's interesting because it kind of set the standard. And so other countries followed that sort of regulatory path to requiring publicly traded companies to have a whistleblowing process in place. And it wasn't necessarily that they have to have an outsourced partner to manage it. It's just that sort of became the best practice. If you're going to have a whistleblower system in place, it's it's great to have trained agents who can take the calls and who are available 24-7 to take the calls. Because oftentimes when people are finally ready to call um, it takes a lot of courage, it takes a lot of brave bravery, it takes a lot of fortitude to say, I'm going to do the right thing and speak up, because it's a very intimidating process. And as you see in the past, the giant scandals of Enron or Tyco or the, the ones that really started to hit the headlines back in the day, those initial whistleblowers were persecuted. You know, they lost their jobs, they wow. were publicly shamed, and it took a long time for and in the business community to come behind them and communicate that it was the right thing to do and that we have to support the whistleblowers because supporting the whistleblowers is is it's sort of elementary to the success of these types of programs. Um, you can't really in, engage in a whistleblower process if you're not going to protect the whistleblower. And it's unfortunate because whistleblower still has, you know, some negative connotations to it, whereby we should celebrate those people who are brave enough to speak up because not only they're doing the right things for their fellow colleagues in their organizations, they're doing the right thing for the organization. um, And they're really demanding that the organization behave in an ethical Mm -hmm. way with integrity and really, you know, in creating value that's, that's true. And not value that's a hyped up stock or, or you know, falsified financials, etc. Yeah, I totally agree, and I think uh, Snowden definitely changed the the worldwide perspective too on on how whistleblowers uh, reviewed. I know it did for me, especially since after it, he he's continued to speak up and really add a, a lot of context to what he was doing. So I, I mean, I think he definitely changed the landscape um, from that perspective. You know, what you're saying it really got me thinking when I was first looking at whistleblower security, and I just thinking like, you know, companies like the Enrons, um, you know, having to 
getting in those kind of scandals, you know, I start thinking, you know, if someone hires you guys um, and say they are doing some unethical acts that is actually affecting their bottom line in a positive way and say, mm-hmm. for example, uh, you know, they, they utilize you guys as hotline services and one of the employees calls in and, and you know, reports something that the management is doing. Um, have you guys experienced a case like that? Because that's just the first thing that kind of went through my head when I saw services like that. And, and just you know, obviously from a capitalistic perspective, everyone's trying to get an edge. So I was just curious. Well, it's an interesting point. And so we've we've definitely had uh, reports about management um, doing unethical things. And we've definitely had the the, the reports we've had are so vast and 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 interesting and things that you never actually think about because, you know, we don't do business in third world countries where, you know, there are uh, payments made that are just a part of the process of doing business. So if we were doing business in North America, it would be considered a bribe. But in other parts of the world, it's an engagement facilitation fee. So there's those sorts of nuances that have to be considered. But to your point about someone reporting on management, what's interesting about that is there's a series of checks and balances within our system. So mm-hmm. that if someone is uh, being reported on and they're actually the person who's going to receive the report, we have different ways to bypass them so that it can go up to their superiors or to the board of directors. And it's oh, okay. important to have those types of checks and balances because, again, if if someone who's actually in charge of the whistleblower systems involved in any kind of wrongdoing, you certainly don't want them to be able to close the report and have it disappear. Um, and I, I think that's why there's, you know, there's multiple levels of checks and balances that have to go into any kind of ethics program so that uh, there's more oversight and transparency um, in the management of this, the reports that come in. So it is, it is complicated and it is nuanced. And again, there's so many different variations of how these things get managed, again, based on whether let's say it's a publicly traded company and there's certain rules and provisions that have to be adhered to under the different regulations, say from the Department of Justice and the SEC in the US, and then over to the UK Bribery Act. There's there's rules that may affect companies that are based in Canada that are also, uh, maybe they're publicly traded on the, on the exchange in London. So there's it's and I'm going into far much too much detail on that kind of stuff, but it's it's very it is very interesting and it's um, there's a lot of feedback from our clients as we evolve and mature that goes into facilitating better uh, checks and balances within our own uh, platform. No, this is great. I, I'm loving the details because I don't mm-hmm. I'm not too familiar with this space, so I'm learning mm-hmm. so much. So I appreciate you going into detail about because I was just curious about um, you addressed it as well. How what's going to happen? What happens when someone does actually call the hotline and reports and what the next steps are? But you went fully through it. So I appreciate that complexity that some of these fraudsters uh, mm-hmm. can actually uh, execute on. It's super intriguing. Do you have a specific case that kind of stands out to you, uh, whether it was super interesting or um, just super like kind of hardcore? Well, I have to I have to be careful about some of the of things course. that I say because it's all confidential. And and certainly and I, you know, to be honest, I don't even see I, I don't see any of the reports that come in. Um, the only time that I'm aware of reports is when clients come to discuss them with us. 
and gotcha. uh, and share their their stories. Uh, so you know, a couple of them that I can share have been when you know um, there's been um, facilities overseas where procurement doesn't actually do their proper job and um, contracts and vendors are chosen based on a family member or something like that. And so, um, so, and, you know, and again, you think you're getting value for dollar, but you're also, you know, paying top dollar because it's the GM's cousin who now has the ongoing contract. You know, those are some of the types of things. And certainly um, bribes are common when you have um, um, overseas facilities um, that you don't have, you know, management on site to kind of, you know, head office management on site to really see what's going on. And that's where uh, other types of tools to augment specifically what we do are really important, like due diligence tools and third-party risk assessments that can help um, flag vendor partners that maybe have been convicted of bribery or have been um, identified as um, bad actors. Uh, so there's lots of different, uh, again, the, the space has grown so rapidly over the last decade. Um, being when we started, it was really just about the ethics reporting hotline. And now there is the, the risk assessment tools, the due diligence tools, the anti-money laundering tools, um, all of these types of things that go into a really complex and, and holistic um, compliance uh, support network, I suppose. Yeah, no, I was so intrigued when I was on your website and I'm seeing all these different services. And obviously it wasn't surprising uh, given everything that's happened in the world, but I was I love seeing services like that. And you mentioned earlier that you work with small companies as well. Um, mm-hmm. You know, to play devil's advocate for a second, if I'm a small to medium-sized business owner, you know, especially in a free market economy, you know, I'm I, my two first priorities are, you know, can I build a product uh, that's good enough uh, that people want, and then second can actually deliver it to those people and actually make them buy it. Um, and, and you guys come in and say, you know what, here's ethics, and ethics actually needs to be uh, kind of a priority for you guys. Um, not to put you on the spot to, to pitch me, but hypothetically, if I was a prospect of a small you know, business owner, what is the case for making me think about ethics when I'm a small business owner and I'm, I'm focused on my bottom line for me to really, really grow? Uh, what would you say to that? Well, what I would say is that statistics show that 33% of small businesses fail because of some sort of fraudulent activity. And a lot of times, especially in small businesses, you know, you're the owner, manager, entrepreneur, you know, you do everything and you're not really looking at the accounting side of it. So it's very easy in those sort of situations to experience all sorts of uh, payroll fraud, accounting fraud. Um, and, and you're just too busy to actually um, know of anything going on. The other statistics show that if you have a, a, a third-party ethics hotline in place, your 18 months, you'll, you'll detect fraud 18 months earlier than you would without it. And so one of the things that we talk about is when you roll out a program, especially in a small organization, is to really say, you know what, again, there's no witch hunting going on here, but especially in small organizations, if someone sees something that is amiss, because it's a close-knit group, they may be intimidated to sort of bring it up to their, their their boss. And maybe the person that they think is committing some sort of fraud is good friends of the boss and they go for beers after work. Uh, what our tool does, it allows that person to confidentially and um, with full an- anonymity 
report on their concerns. And so one of the things that we always counsel our clients with is that it doesn't, you don't, you don't have to have your employees have evidence of some sort of wrongdoing. If they have a gut feeling, if they've seen some red flags, then this tool just allows them to float it out there. And then you can actually do the investigation to see if there's any validity to it. But it's a really important tool to have. Um, we have another client who recently uh, onboarded and they had a, a tragic situation happen in, in their company. And what they had said is that if they'd had a tool like this, they could have possibly been notified of this situation prior to it because they had little flags coming here and there, but they didn't have anywhere where it was all amalgamated and it would have brought it all together and, 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 and said, there's an issue and it's in this department and we need to react on it now. But because they didn't have um, you know, a database that sort of brought all of these sort of uh, unrelated clues, I would mm -hmm. say, together, they missed the opportunity to, to really uh, deter a, a really bad uh, event within their organization. So now that they've put this tool into place, it allows uh, for the people who are managing um, mm -hmm. the hotline and all the reports that come in to amalgamate, whether they come into them in person, whether they come in through the hotline, and they can amalgamate through location, through department, through uh, case types, et cetera, to really drill down and be able to, uh, again, identify um, issues that could uh, potentially be disastrous. When you uh, mentioned, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, the other thing to, to consider, too, is that, you know, these types of tools um, not are, they're used, you know, yes, to monitor ethical behavior, but they're, you know, to me, there's an element of risk mitigation and there's an element of um, employee engagement where you're saying, yes, yeah, so this is it's definitely a risk mitigation tool, but it's also an employee engagement tool to say that we want to hear from you. We want you to speak up. And if you feel you can't go directly to your supervisor, we're going to give you this tool and we're going to make sure that you're in a safe place with trained agents to talk about any kind of, you know, um, sensitive issues. And we're gonna we're gonna make that available to you um, because that's we care about you as a individual and we also care about the organization. So it it's sort of a twofold um, benefit to the organization and to the employees. All of that hits hits so home for me because I, I've been in uh, positions before at organizations where um, I felt exactly what you mentioned in terms of not being able to go to my supervisor, but then you feel pigeonholed. Uh, you know, obviously we didn't have a service like this. I didn't even know it existed. And, you know, you feel you kind of lose hope. And then from there, it's just a snowball effect into, you know, eventually leaving the company. Um, I've also been part uh, of an organization. I know I have friends that um, have been part of organizations that they've had had, you know, back-to-back -back CFOs uh, steal from the organization. And when they continue to hire people and they continue um, to continue uh, committing uh, theft and fraud and, um, you know, when you're, especially if you're part of a private organization, private company that really is tight-lipped on the finances and what they're doing, I think it just makes it so hard when you don't have a service like this. Uh, and I'm just putting myself in an employee shoe, um, how frustrating I've been um, in situations like that. So everything you're saying, I can't stop thinking, man, what would have been different if some of those companies had these services and allowed that outlet for myself and some of my colleagues? You know, and I can I can share with you a personal um, 
situation that probably influenced, again, how this company has developed. But uh, back in the day, I worked with an organization who had a, a manager who was considered very close to the owner and uh, a trusted individual for a number of years and uh, probably a decade of working with this individual. And this individual conspired uh, a very sophisticated fraud against the organization and also utilized the staff in that location to execute on that fraud and can collaborate on the fraud. And um, it did take one person who dropped a couple of you know breadcrumbs for the owner to uh, uncover the fraud and it was only breadcrumbs because again i think people are scared you know they're scared for their own jobs mm-hmm. and they're scared for the retaliation which is a whole nother um point of contention in this whole whistleblower system people are scared of social ostracism of being blacklisted of being um you know persecuted by their colleagues and by the organization and the unfortunate thing is when you think of these small companies where you have this sort of um, uh, fraud that's being perpetuated, you know, it often takes them down and uh, and destroys the company. And so this is where I always try and talk about the fact that, you know, if you can be brave enough to step up, then you can hopefully be brave enough to perhaps even save the company you know, and your job. Is this hotline available for when an employee is having just, you know, issues with, say, just a bad boss and say boss is a tyrant and he's just running wild and micromanaging and the employee is just feels like uh, everything that he or she does is getting criticized and just feels that he's getting treat, uh, treated unfairly. Is, is that something they can call into or does it just have to be something where it's like a, something like fraud or theft? No, the, the hotline, you know, the way that we approach it, and especially because uh, people can reach out to us either through the hotline or they can go directly onto our um, uh, integrity accounts platform and file online, they can report on whatever they want. And so the, the positioning is all based on our clients and how they position it to their employees. So some clients who are publicly traded, you know, they really just want to fulfill the Sarbanes-Oxley obligations, which is about accounting and internal controls. Others open it up to the full gamut of, I want to hear about crazy ideas about product development. I want to hear about um, ethical violations. I want to hear about human resources issues, or I want to hear about the boss who's a tyrant. And regardless, if someone calls into our, our contact center, our agents will take that call. And we won't say you can't call because you're complaining about your boss. We'll still take the call. But what we do um, do with our clients is encourage them always to counsel their employees to try and go to their direct supervisor or HR if it's that type of a complaint. You know, if it's a complaint about your boss, really, that's best. uh, The best Mm -hmm. the best route of success is to go directly to your HR department. Again, but if you feel that you can't, we're that safety net. And so we'll create that warm and empathetic space for you to come forward and talk about whatever your issues are. And I love that um, because it, it highlights companies that don't want to be transparent and in a way forces them to be transparent. And, you know, in 2020, I'd say uh, transparency was like a key word for me and everything that I was I was witnessing. And it seemed like an organization was rather very transparent in terms of, hey, guys, you know, this is what we're going through. This is the challenges. 
stick with us. We've got to do X, Y, and Z to get out of it. And then there's other organizations that were so tight-lipped and they've kind of isolated everyone and just pretended everyone just gets an idea of what it is. But, um, you know, that's just completely killed collaboration. And on top of it, when you're so quiet and you isolate your employees, you you create doubt and you create skepticism. And now you're wondering what's happening with this. How are our finances? You know, how are we making money? How are we continuing to go? So um, I really love that uh, whistleblower security, you know, it really highlights that transparency. And I think transparency, um, you know, j- is, will just benefit an organization and the employee uh, both at the same time. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think especially in this time of COVID, Um, There needs to be even more support to our employees as everybody's working somewhat virtually and can't be in the office together. And there's more fear. And uh, and when there's fear, that creates issues. So the more tools that you can provide that, you know, help with engagement, help with inclusion, help with communication, um, I think that only benefits companies. And I think, to be honest, there is a paradigm shift when we started this so many years ago. There was, uh, you know, I don't need this. It's going to be, you know, the snitch line kind of a thing. And now mm-hmm. it's being embraced. And I think even when we started it, there weren't chief ethics officers for most organizations. And now that's, you know, that's a really key uh, position reporting to the CEO in Fortune 500 companies. So it's it's interesting to watch the, um, the evolve the evolving sort of ethics um, component as as part of overall business management yeah i love the change of that perspective and i and i hope it keeps changing and keeps encouraging um employees to speak up and i think in in turn that's going to force employers to just be more and more transparent um and i really want to lose the term we don't want too many chefs in the kitchen Uh, it seems outdated and you know the executives think it's just us and and you guys are minions and whatever we come out with whatever you decide take it and we don't owe you an explanation because we're in this position of power, but you guys are changing that um, in, in a positive way. Um, Jen, I, I want to transition to your leadership. Uh, from what you're explaining, what whistleblower security does, I'm getting an idea of what your core values are, but I would love to hear from yourself. How do you take that mission and into your own personal leadership? And you know, what advice do you have for new managers um, and just any manager really that uh, the tools that they need to be a successful leader? Well, I think I'm very lucky. I have a great team that I work with and we have a very collaborative mandate. And so uh, whether you're, um, you say myself as the founder of the company or whether you're the new person doing the marketing administration, everybody's ideas and thoughts are considered and we really work Along with our team, we also work with our clients. And that's what I find so interesting. So we have this engagement process that everybody's ideas, especially because we have this platform that's continually evolving to meet all the various needs of our customers, both big and small and local and multinational. And and when you have that type of engagement, uh, it just leads to a really... um, I guess, well, again, collaborative, but I I think a really uh, forward momentum type organization where I always say we are the little train that could. So, you know, our competitors are really large private equity backed firms and we're, you know, a small organically uh, developing organization out of Canada. 
working with huge organizations globally. And part of our success has been our ethos of um, collaboration and respect. And uh, I think a really superlative customer service um, mandate. And so our customer success team is amazing at facilitating the relationships with our clients. And so we don't take any client for granted, even if they're a tiny client, um, it's, we're always trying to do our best. And I think that ethos is something that I share with our team and they, they, you know, our response times, our, our collaboration, our proactive engagement, all, um, all speaks to the importance of uh, empowering your team and listening to your team. And so I think, you know, I think as a leader, the most important thing you can do is listen and and learn from all the feedback that you get from your own teammates. The Everything you're saying um, seems so spot on. And it's though it sounds so simple, especially what you just mentioned, you have to listen. Uh, unfortunately, when you look around, it just seems like that simple act that a leader can do in very small moments as well. Then the big differences it makes the employees, uh, you constantly see the power take over. I, I don't need to explain this. Well, I don't need to hear this. Um, we're doing it this way. You know, I'm I'm the boss. So I, I get to decide it. I have the responsibility, which, by the way, I, I, that's big of my biggest pet peeves because they have bigger responsibility. It doesn't give you a right uh, to be an asshole, number one. And number two, uh, yeah, it doesn't give you a right yeah. to just say, I don't have to do X, Y and Z. So um, I love that that you're so passionate about listening. And, and though it's simple, I think it really does make uh, the biggest difference uh, in being a leader. Well, and I think, too, it really makes everyone um, truly, you know, validated in their roles and the sense that um, everyone's got credibility on the team. Everybody, there's no um, there's no fear in speaking up, even if it is a crazy idea. Um, it's a let's put it out there and see if it's something that will improve our workflows or or our marketing or what have you. Um, we kind of we welcome that um, sort of fearlessness. And in that sense. I think you end up with a better product and a better team because everybody has that sense of trust and that, you know, we all have each other's back and ultimately we're here to make good companies better. It's our mandate. And, um, and in doing that, um, you have to have a really cohesive team and, and a supportive team. So if, if that falls apart, then I think that's when your delivery of your product and your customer service, et cetera, can fall apart. Yeah, I was shocked to hear in COVID of so many organizations that closed their doors, had the executives in there to brainstorm and figure out how they're going to adapt and what products they're going to come out with and what they're going to adjust. And I'm thinking you have a staff sitting out there and they're they're all bright minds. And most importantly, regardless of what their opinions are and what their um, ideas are, is they are different and they're going to give you a different perspective. Even if you don't use their ideas, it's going to make you think differently. But it just blows blows me away how uh, organizations shut the doors and, and take on the responsibility when the employees are, are looking to help, uh, but they get shut out. And then after they're just kind of force fed uh, whatever the company is doing. And then obviously in turn to make sure they keep their job, they got to, they can't really speak up too much. So, and, you know, again, from that perspective, you see another snowball effect into that employee's unhappy. Yeah, it, oh, no, exactly. And again, during, I think during this time of COVID, you have to really make sure that everybody's is, is engaged and um, not feeling isolated. 
and that their um, that their their insights matter. And I also think that you know, especially when you're dealing with um, people who are dealing with your frontline um, customers and and they're constantly getting the feedback from your customers, you need to ensure that that feedback goes back to you know your product team, your marketing team. Um, your operations team so that we can continue to react to the feedback from the clients and our frontline staff who work with them every day. It's a, you know, there's a whole circle of life that comes into play um, that's essential to the, to the mm-hmm. success of the organization. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I, I love all that and, and I love your approach and I can tell based on your philosophy, you have a set of very happy and, and motivated uh, employees and obviously it, it shows in the success of whistleblower security as well, which by the way, Shannon, you, you sold yourself a little short because you guys are um, the only woman, majority woman owned ethics reporting company. And I, I think that's a, that's a great accomplishment. Yeah, no, it's, we're very proud of that. We've got a really strong um, female team. We've got great, great uh, men on the team too, but <laughs> we have a really strong female Forget team. Them. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you know, we're very excited about our women-owned certifications, and we just became B Corp certified last year, and we're very excited to join that community because, again, they aspire to people purpose and being a company of impact. And um, we're just starting to explore a whole relationship within the B Corp community. And it's, these are important, um, I think important, I guess, commitments for us in that it's just trying to make us a better company and trying to make us uh, aspirational in, in everything that we do. And again, we're very lucky. We are so blessed that in this time of COVID, um, we can continue to have relationships with our clients and acquire new clients and grow our business. And um, a lot of that is because of, um, again, the great team that we have and and the great product that we're building. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you yourself are, are an example of, of a woman in, in technology and in leadership. Um, I have a lot of uh, young female listeners in my audience. Um, would you have any um uh, tips or do you have a vision for young girls that um, are growing up and are graduating college and are really trying to figure out their career and and I guess how they can uh, be in a position of leadership and really embrace the technology space? I You know, you know it's sort of interesting because, uh, you know, I've, I sort of fell into this business and before this business, I was not in technology at all. And um, it's just, it's an opportunity. And I think that for anybody who's a bit of an entrepreneur. You just have to be open and available to to letting those opportunities come to you. And then when they do, figuring out how you bring a team around you that can support you. Because I can't, I don't know the first thing about writing a line of code at all. But I do know how I want the end product to look and the experience to be. And so once you have a team around you who can actually make that into a reality, um, then you're then you're off to the races. Uh, but the most important thing is to be, I think, um, it is, again, to be open. And you just have to look around at um, situations, the environment, the um the, how business business functions are changing and, and, and what the needs are. And I guess maybe you have to be a little bit futuristic too, because mm-hmm. back in the day, um, you know, we, we certainly, I don't think I realized how big 
um, ethics reporting was going to be. I just really believed in it as a function that was necessary to, to running a really good business. Mm-hmm. And so it's been um, a really interesting journey in that, you know, pretty much any organization in any country can be our client. And that's, um, and that speaks volumes. Um, and we're also about, you know, we're very lucky in the sense that we're doing, I think that we're doing the right thing. We're selling a, 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 a product that brings great value to people and to organizations. So again, I mean, any advice I would have to, um, to women who are just graduating from university is to just be super curious and to ask questions and to listen and um, to really try and expose yourself as much as possible to a variety of industries and, and even a variety of cultures. You know, if you have the opportunity once COVID passes to live in a, <laughs> to live in a different country and, uh, and, and spend a couple of years dabbling in different industries. I think that it just brings you so much experience um, that can help, you know, um, identify those opportunities that are going to come down in the future because everything continually changes. So you, uh, again, I, even I have two daughters who are 15 and 17 and when we talk about what they're going to do in their future lives, so you know there there's going to be jobs and opportunities that aren't even uh, aren't even existing right now. So that's why I think you have to be so open and just uh, just try and have as many experiences as possible to see where where it takes you. I love that. And Shannon, I got to be honest, when I first came into this conversation, um, though I saw uh, the value of whistleblower security and, and ethics reporting, um, I didn't really think there was that much of a need. But I must say, you have completely changed my mind. Um, and everything you mentioned, especially in the beginning of this, uh, really made me think differently. And when you were mentioning uh, the stats and, and, and employees having an outlet, um, a flood of memories just flushed, uh, came into my head about all the different scenarios and times in my life where uh, I would have definitely loved uh, the services you guys are offering. So I'm uh, very lucky uh, to have you. I'm gonna definitely keep uh, an eye out on whistleblowers security and i really hope to catch up with you soon thanks already you too take care I hope you enjoyed that episode and I really, really appreciate your support. If you want to learn more, please visit leadershipev.com. If you want to get in touch with me, you can reach me at rdg at leadershipev.com. That's A-R-D-I-G at leadershipev.com. Thank you and see you soon.